0: All right. Well, when Josh asked me to preach, um, he said, just take as many verses as you want. I thought, well, we've been in James a long time. We could just get this over with, you know? (laughs) I thought about sending out a a survey like he did this week about our reopening phase and kind of asking the question, like, hey, who's ready to be done with James? Who's ready to move on to something else? But... Since I'm not the lead pastor, I figured that probably wouldn't be the best idea. Hey, go for it, man. I'm I'm with you. So if y'all want to stick around for a while, we can hit the rest of the book of James. But we're going to do 10 verses today, and it's going to take us longer than any kid's lesson I've ever taught. I'll tell you that much, okay? Um, So if you had your hopes up for it being short, I won't preach as long as Josh. Yes. So this is the first time I've preached beside an interstate, but I have preached in a remote village in Africa before. Um, so this is luxury, really. The first sermon I ever preached was at a youth rally in a village in Tanzania, Africa. It's pretty awesome. I, uh, I cherish that memory greatly. We were missionaries in Tanzania, um, and it was when we had went back um, on a mission trip. I was in high school, and it was awesome. I'm very thankful for, for that time. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 4. Um, we're going to um, hit 10 verses in James chapter 4. And um, just I, I don't even know if I need to say, this, but to preface, if you have your, your notebook, that's obviously in the ESV. All my verses throughout my sermon day are from the ESV. So if you have your app and want to pull up that version and follow along, you're more than welcome to. If not, that's cool too. Um, but I want us to, before we get into the passage, I want us to remind ourselves the importance of context in Scripture. Okay, I think uh, as adults we all understand what that means, but since I'm a kids pastor which is the coolest job ever. Right, Avery? Yeah, Avery said it. It's true. I want to make sure you kids understand what context means as well. Okay? Context is everything that's happening around something that gives that thing its meaning. Okay? If somebody came to our church for the first time and had no idea what was going on in America and they came this Sunday, they might wonder why we're meeting outside in somebody's backyard under tents because they don't understand the context, we can't meet at the school where we used to. It's everything that's happening around this particular thing. And the context of this passage is very, very important to remember because James, like Josh said last week, it's kind of like he jumps around almost randomly sometimes, but it's so far from random. And if we do not remember context we'll come to James chapter four and completely forget about the end of James chapter three. And we have to remind ourselves that James 3.18 and James 4.1 did not exist whenever James wrote this letter. He put a period and then went on to the next word. And as the Bible was translated and put into book form to make it easy for us to find things, we put the chapter in the verse. So remember the context. So let's review a little bit of what we did last week. We talked about earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. And heavenly wisdom we saw was marked with meekness, with purity, with peace, gentleness, um, reasonableness, open to reason, uh, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. But then the contrast of that was earthly wisdom. And that was marked with jealousy, selfish ambition. Uh, It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. There's disorder. There's every vile practice, the Bible says. So basically, if you've got earthly wisdom, you've got all the junk over here. Heavenly wisdom, you got all the good stuff. Good outcome, bad outcome. It's an easy choice, right? It sounds easy, but oftentimes we struggle so much with that. And in James chapter 4, in the beginning of James chapter 4, we're going to build on that previous thought And we're going to see some practical outcomes of choosing earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. And we're going to talk about today that this means war. This means war. Read with me in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's not brothers and sisters, kids. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that he has made to dwell or I'm sorry, I lost my, my my spot here. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that has made to dwell in us? Verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. the the conflict are directly connected to the earthly wisdom practically playing out in believers lives remember the book of james james was writing to christians judaic christians who were scattered all over the world he's addressing them specifically so coming at it from the perspective of a christian a believer this isn't people who are expected to sin as sinners who are not redeemed are. You can't expect somebody who's not redeemed to act redeemed. No, he's writing to believers saying, if you choose earthly wisdom, here are the outcomes. Right. Come on. So number one, you are your own worst enemy. You are your own worst enemy. You are the source of all of your conflicts now don't give me that well you don't know the person i sit beside at work i understand people can be difficult but you are the source of your conflicts right. i understand people can can be jerks i understand that people can do wrong and we should have a righteous anger in us when we do see sin and we do see wrong but when you have conflict Don't look anywhere else but you. Remember, in the book of James, we are on trial for our faith. We, you, me, are on trial for our faith. And I don't know any judge in any court that's going to accept the defense of, well, you don't have to work under Pastor Josh. You don't have to be married to... I'm not going to use that example. My wife is (laughs) wonderful. She is. She is awesome. You don't have this person as your dad. Your mom doesn't treat you like this. Society doesn't look at you like that. You see, the book of James talks about personalizing this in your life. You're on trial for your faith. Is there enough evidence to convict you? Come on. So number one, you are your own worst enemy. You are the source of all your conflicts. Your passions, in verse one, are at war within you. You're the source of your conflicts with others. Verse two, it says, you desire and do not have. So you murder. There have been people who have been convicted of murder literally because they did not get what they wanted. So, what happened? They killed someone. And you say, Well, I'm good there. Like, I'm sitting here at church today. I'm not in prison serving time for murder. Well, hold on, because Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount if you look at your brother and have malice or hate in your heart towards him, you are just as guilty as murder of the person who literally took the breath from someone's life. You are the source of your conflict with others because you murder, you choose to hate, you choose to have malice, you choose to have anger in your heart towards somebody just because you didn't get what you wanted. Are you kidding me? When you say that out loud, it sounds so ridiculous. We're willing to go that far because I didn't get my way. But oh my goodness, how guilty are we every single day? Verse two goes on to say, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Is anybody picking up on that you are the problem? I am the problem. In any conflict that you have with others, don't point your finger at them and say, if they did this, if they responded that way, if they did this, that, whatever, you're dead wrong. You're in sin. Because the Bible says you're at war because your passions within you are at war. You desire and don't have, so you murder either literally or with your thoughts. You covet and cannot obtain. That word covet, you're making something an idol. You're taking God off the throne of your heart and putting something else there because you want it so bad you're willing to sacrifice your standing and relationship with God to chase after that thing. You are the problem. You are the source of your conflicts with others. You're the source of your conflict with God. Verse two says, you, you do not have because you do not ask. You ever wanted something so bad, chased after it, and it just never seemed to work out? Lately, I've really been wanting a kayak to take fishing. And I kid you not, I thought about it so much. And I'll tell you, the Lord convicted me of this. Um, and I haven't thought about it as much lately but I thought about it so much for like three days straight every single one I saw like on Facebook Marketplace or whatever like because I'm trying to do it on the cheap I'm like, like I practically want to go somewhere and be like oh yeah this is what's going on in the garbage can cool I'll take it there's a couple holes that would be alright I can swim I'll buy a nice life jacket or something um, but no I thought about it so much for like two or three days I literally dreamt, dreamt about it like, and I woke up the next day I was like are you kidding me that's, that's pathetic. All because I want to go fishing. That's ridiculous. And not one time did I ever say, Hey, God, if it works out, like, it'd be really cool if I could have a kayak to take out in some spare time and you know enjoy your creation and fish, do something I enjoy. Not one time did I ever do that. And God convicted me of that. You do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ever heard uh, that old song? I think it's like late 90s, early 2000s. Back in Josh's. That's an old song, right? Hey, Melissa. That's an old song. Uh, I think it came out on like Josh's 30th birthday or something. Um... Uh, cause I pray your brakes run uh, run out when you're going down a hill. I pray a, pray a flower pot falls from a window. So you know what I'm talking about, Rainy? Um, and the song's about this person who broke up with somebody else. And she's saying, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to pray all this bad stuff happens to you. Right? It's pretty funny. It's not a Christian song, but it's pretty funny. Mom, Dad, I listened to that when I was younger. Sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um... <clears throat> You ever prayed for something for completely the wrong reasons? Because you were selfish and you wanted something your way? You wanted vengeance because you had been done wrong, because somebody stepped on your toes? You ever prayed for something and it was the completely wrong motive and you're expecting God to step in and do your dirty work? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrong. In verse 3, it tells us the reason why we do that. It's because we want to spend it on your passions. Those passions were earlier it said that are at war within you. You want to spend it on your passions that are at war. On your selfish, prideful desires that are at war within you. You pray to God and ask Him for something that helps you to continue in sin. It's a dangerous game. James declares these Christians, and I would throw me, and I would throw every one of you, except for maybe Miss Debbie, because she's the sweetest. Y'all know she married George Clooney during a quarantine? I love Re hair and beard, I'll just say that. Jesus, or James declares these Christians, and I would throw us in that mix, as adulterers. Adulterers. People who have betrayed the one who that they have committed their entire lives to. That they have entered into a covenant relationship with. God takes this very, very seriously. In fact... One of his prophets in the book of Hosea, he puts through a very, very heavy illustration to teach us this lesson. And he tells Hosea to go out and to marry a prostitute. And then she betrays him. And God says, Hosea, go out and find her and bring her back and forgive her to teach us of his love toward us. And the Bible says that when we do this, when we try to uh, desire and we don't get so we kill, when we covet and cannot obtain so we fight and quarrel, when we don't have because we don't ask, when we ask wrongly, uh, when we want to spend it on our passions, he puts us in the same place as the one who left her husband and went and wasted her life. Adulterers. Mm Adulterers. David Platt says, James illustrates in chapter four, the disorder and evil that is the result of the envy and selfish ambition of chapter three. Evil and disorder, chaos, complete chaos. Remember these things are stemming from an earthly wisdom that is full of jealousy and selfish ambition. And that can be summed up very simply in one word. Pride. Come on. Pride. I want it that way. <laughs> you tell me why. <laughs> Come on. So I may consume it for my own lusts. You want it your way, thank you Burger King. Come on. Your pride, your pride is the root of all the conflicts, fights, quarrels in your life. Again, your neighbor isn't on trial, your coworker isn't on trial, your spouse isn't on trial, your mom isn't on trial, your dad isn't on trial. You are on trial for your faith. And if you choose to live in pride and earthly wisdom and selfish ambition and jealousy, you are the cause of all of your conflicts. And I am the cause of all of mine. Mom. The conflicts that we have with those around us and with God are a direct result of our pride. Verse 4 says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That word enmity literally means hostility and war. Verse 4 goes on to say that therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. You choose to put yourself on the other side of the battlefield of God Almighty. You choose to step inside the walls of Jericho. You choose to take a seat at the right hand of Nebuchadnezzar. You choose to take the hammer and nail the nails through Jesus' hands. You choose to wash your hands off in the bowl with Pilate. You choose to make yourself an enemy of God and all that God is. Where does this leaning towards earthly wisdom, this pride, come from? Verse 5 says, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Some people look at this verse as like, okay, this passage turns positive at some point, And I think it's right here. Because we got the Holy Spirit inside of us so we can... But no, that's not what it's talking about. Another spot where Paul and James build on each other rather than contradict each other, Romans 7, 23. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Your flesh, the old man that we've talked a lot about over the last several months. Your old man is the source of... Of everything inside you that boils up and shows itself as pride. In our pride, we have become adulterers and enemies of God, not to mention the conflicts and enemies that we have created with those around us, even those sitting next to you or across the tent in the church seat. Christians, come on. What are we doing? What are we doing that we would think so highly of ourselves and our own thoughts and our own desires that we would be willing to kill someone with our thoughts according to scripture who is a brother or a sister in Christ? God help us. God help us. So what do we do? If y'all don't mind, I'm going to read a lot of verses of scripture. That's cool. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Yeah. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, in all three of those places, James and Paul working together to build on each other and to show us truth of God's word. Good news. Good news. My favorite word in the Bible comes next. But, but, I think favorite word in the Bible, what? But he gives more grace. What is this grace? It's something that's given to you freely, openly, completely with no strings attached that you do not deserve. I heard a quote um, yesterday on a podcast that says grace is fundamentally given to those who don't deserve it. Its very foundations are rooted and built in the fact that you don't deserve it, but you're going to get it anyways. He gives more grace. So number one, you're your own worst enemy. In your conflicts with others, in your conflicts with God everything in your life that has conflict, it's coming from you. It's coming from you. But the good news is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So how do we get access to this grace? Verse 6, the Bible says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This opposition I want you to picture me and Shaquille O'Neal playing basketball together. Everybody knows who Shaq is, right? Or we could go last dance, the GOAT. I will say Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time, and I've been a LeBron fan since the day he stepped in the NBA, still am. Imagine me stepping on the court and saying, all right, Michael, first to 11. He's gonna skunk me. Easy. It's not even going to be fun for him because it's I'm no competition. I can't compare. That's you stepping into the ring with God Almighty. He opposes you so much you don't have a chance. Yeah. Come on. And sometimes it's gonna be like your older brother or sister ever like put their put your, their hand on your head and you like try to run after him and like hit him and whatever and then they like step out of the way. And you're leaning so far until you fall on your face that's the picture of God opposing you eventually God's going to stop opposing you and step right out of the way and you're going to fall flat on your face and fail miserably God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and if you still want to fight that battle with God Be my guest. More power to you. But I don't want to. I don't want to. Humility is the key. And because humility is the key, submission has got to be the vehicle that we get in and press the gas pedal and move on. And in verse 7, the Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Therefore, because of everything that you've heard so far, because of everything that's happened, because of everything that you know, therefore, submit to God and what he wants, and what he desires for you. So how does that play out practically? Because that sounds really nice, sounds really easy, but how does it play out practically? Verse 7, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Wow. How? Jesus gave us a great example. In Matthew chapter 4, he went out into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil, and what did he do? He quoted scripture after scripture after scripture, and the devil went away from him. Scripture is key. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God, why that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan cannot lead you into sin against your will. And your will, naturally, will be to sin unless your mind has been renewed by Scripture. Unless you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and had a new man created in you and resurrected in you. And the old man has been put to death and is locked up in the grave in the tomb that Jesus left on the third day. It's locked away inside there. There's no way to resurrect it again. If you go and pick up that old man, you're going to be playing with a dead puppet. And all of its actions will be the only actions that you give it. Our minds must be renewed by Scripture. So how does this play out practically? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Secondly, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Deuteronomy 4 verse 7 says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? What set the nation of Israel apart? The presence of Almighty God. When did the nation of Israel fail in their conquest of the promised land? Whenever they took God out of their midst. Whenever they disobeyed Him and His presence was no longer with them. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You think of the story of the prodigal son. The son goes out, takes his inheritance and wastes it. And he comes back with nothing, literally wanting to be a slave to simply earn food from his father's table. And before he was ever able to get there, maybe he was standing down the road and trying to decide if he was actually going to go through with this and face his father again. His father saw him out the window and came around. He came running. It wouldn't matter if the son had never taken another step. His father was running to him because he drew near and his father ran to him. What a beautiful picture of our God. God. Lamentations 3.57 says, you came near when I called on you. You came near when I called on you. So this plays out practically. By first, resisting the devil and he will flee from you. By secondly, drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you you recognize these promises? We hold on to every promise that you have ever made. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Promise. (laughs) Verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded and infected by coronavirus. No, I'm just kidding, it doesn't say that. Your version might, but mine doesn't. That's quarantine's favorite verse. The Bible says in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who can come into God's presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, Psalm 51.7, purge me with hyssop. In Bible times, hyssop is basically a bar of soap that they would use to, to clean themselves, herbs and whatnot that they would, that they would use to, to cleanse their bodies. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you want to come into right standing with God, come to him clean no I'm sorry come to him dirty and let him clean you come to him dirty and let the blood of Jesus take care of everything how does it play out practically first of all resist the devil and he will flee from you promise draw near to God and he will draw near to you promise cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double-minded verse 9 be wretched And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I'll be honest, this verse has kind of always confused me a little bit. Because, like, we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord, but this verse sounds kind of bleak. Remember it context. Take (laughs) sin seriously. Take sin seriously. It is everything against the very character of God when we sin. And when you sin, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, it is everything against your character. Because God has bestowed upon you everything that he is. Because you are his hands, his feet, his mouth in this world. So therefore, when somebody looks at you, they have to see him. So we must take seriously what God takes seriously. Leviticus 11.44, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Leviticus 20.7, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, verse 26. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And you say, that's great. But that was instructions to the tribe of Levi and the Levitical wall for the nation of Israel. How does that apply to me? Because I'm free from the law. Thank you, Paul. Okay, let's see what the New Testament says. 1 John 1, 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 1 Peter 1 15-16 But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written in Leviticus, might I add, you shall be holy for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8 Paul, James, working together, building on each other. For God has not called us to impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this regards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We must take sin seriously. And our mindset, our perspective, our attitude toward the sin and filth in this world must change. Because we live in a a society that has softened us to it. Now, don't mishear me. Our grace and our love for this world and for the people in it cannot change. But the way we view sin must. There's no other option. Because the grace and the love that redeemed us and redeemed all people in this world, if they choose to believe, is the... Is the grace and the forgiveness that was nailed to the cross by the sin of this world. We must take sin seriously. So how does this play out practically? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your left be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And lastly in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Our earthly wisdom and pride seeks to promote ourselves and causes conflicts everywhere we look. Yeah. We want to promote ourselves and get what we want in our time, in our way. Period. Anything else? War. Fight. Quarrel, conflict. But heavenly wisdom seeks God first and allows Him and only Him to exalt you and to have His way in elevating you where He and only He wants you to go. Don't mishear this. God doesn't want you to live a life of lowliness in the dirt. Humility isn't thinking about how low you are all the time. The common denominator is that is you're still thinking about you. If you think you're so low and so much nothing, that's prideful. Because you're making it about you. No, our humility makes it about God and what He wants. And where He wants you to go. So pride versus Humility. Pride results in conflict and failure. Pride is sin. It's what all sin was rooted in. When Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit, they thought they knew better than God. They understood better than what God told them. That's pride. It's the root of all sin. Humility results in exaltation by God in His way in His timing. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Never has there been a revival, but that some of the people, especially at the beginning, have had such visions of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man that they have scarcely known what to do with themselves. You want our world to change? You want our church to to grow and to thrive and to give Him the highest praise that we are capable of giving? If you want revival, you got to seek God for the holiness that he is and the sinfulness that we are. And let it change you. And it might take some time. It might hurt. It might be really difficult. But we got to be willing to step aside and say, God, anything that you want to do, I'll stop going out for a while. I'll stop hanging out with my friends. And I'll just spend extra time with you until you teach me what your holiness is and what my sinfulness is. You can be a Christian and not take the holiness of God seriously. Do you understand Come on. that? You can be a Christian and not take your sinfulness seriously. So come before God and beg of God, take all of this out of the way until all I can see is you and your holiness and how you want that to play out in my life. All that we do, submitting to God, resisting the devil, cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts, taking sin seriously, must be done in humility. And it is a direct result of the heavenly wisdom that we talked about last week. pride and humility. One with the earthly wisdom causes all these conflicts, all the bad stuff. And humility and heavenly wisdom comes with blessing and glory to God Almighty. It comes with grace. It comes with forgiveness. It comes with peace. If we want peace in our world, in our communities, in our societies, it's going to take some heavenly wisdom and the thing that's awful and that i hate is most of the people involved in all of that don't have heavenly wisdom because they don't have christ so if we want things to change around us we got to be the ones to go take it to them but if we're staying over here in earthly wisdom and want people to see things our way and the way that we post on social media if we want people to see Uh, Things from our perspective and from our opinions and all that we want and me, 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 me because I want to promote myself and see that everybody makes sure that they know who I am and what I'm about and what I care about and I want everybody to agree with me. We will never be able to step over into heavenly wisdom and share that with the world around us and make any difference at all whatsoever. Church, me, I'm pleading with us. Let's live. Let's throw away our pride today. Amen. Let's live in humility. And let God exalt us as he may. Let's pray, Lord. Please. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystone rdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.